in five, four, three. Hey, everybody. This is Danielle. Oh, and this is Daniel. <laughs> and this is Carla. We are Hoosier Homicide, a true crime podcast by Hoosiers for Hoosiers or for anyone that doesn't know what a Hoosier is. Okay, do it for real. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I mean, hello. All right. What's going on? How do you feel? Fine. Why do I get this every time? <laughs> I'm just wondering. Because we know how the other feels. We share a vagina. What? What? No, you said you want to know how you feel. I said we know how each other feels because we share a vagina. No, oh it's because we live together. <laughs> well, I mean, you can kind of assume that. No. No, she's asking because I went to Bloomington yesterday. But that was fun, right? Oh, it, was, okay. it was really fun. I mean, it's too bad that they lost, but mm-hmm. it's like some they good suck. times. <laughs> they suck. Yeah, IU sucks. Yeah, they're not doing very good. If IU was smart, they would, uh, they'd fire their head coach and hire Matt Painter. I'm all for that. Say, hey, how much you want to leave? Because Matt Painter's a good recruiter. I'm, I'm here for it. That's Whatever you just said. I'm fine. <laughs> yep, sign me up. I'm okay with it. No, what else did you do? You just go to the game. And then we didn't back. go to the game. Tickets were like $200. Oh, man. Because to watch Bobby them Knight. suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Bobby Knight was going to be there. So we just went to Nick's and then like Kilroy's. That's pretty mm-hmm. much it. Yeah. So <gasps> anything happen? Um, well, we were at sports. And we're in the jungle. And well, Alexis texted me today. And she was like, "Did I fall last night? Because my leg hurts." And I was like, "You did actually. I forgot that they everyone. It had to have been like fucking mom's weekend or something because we had a bunch of moms like trying to push us out of the way to get closer to Mark Cuban. And I'm like, you guys are acting like he's Justin Bieber or something. It's he's not, just mom. Mark Cuban. Like, so yeah, Mark Cuban was at the bar, and so it's Sage Steel. And I don't get why everyone was freaking out. His mom's because weekend. it's Sage Steel from. ESPN. Yeah, I know, but she's there all the time. <laughs> well, you know, I guess you don't care about powerful women. No, I do. In a man's I just world. don't no, get no, why no, okay, Carla. the moms no, were pushing okay. us out of the way to get there. <laughs> I go, well, why? It's because it's their idol. I guess that could be true. Maybe when you're an old woman and you're not worth a shit, <laughs> you're and worth you a see, shit right now. You see a very, I don't know how to say this. Well put you, together. You see a very famous person standing over in the corner. She's going to shove people out of the that way. I guess. Inspir- I don't that's know. An inspiration to many people. Nah. Nah. Well, that's why Alexis fell, because she got pushed over by a mom. Oh, okay. Well, well you know what? If she hadn't been so drunk, she wouldn't have fallen over. I don't think that's the case. <laughs> so. There was like a ledge right next to us, so she got pushed like directly onto it. Oh. Yeah. She's fine. It was so intrusive, she forgot about it. Yeah. Exactly. She's <laughs> <laughs> like, why does my leg hurt? I was like, oh, no big deal. Just how was Utah? Yeah, that was, it the was other so thing. fun. We went. Um... Are you a Mormon? I am now. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> they accept you as you are. They accepted me as their own. No. Can uh... you tell me about the golden, the golden tabernacle or whatever the fuck it was? He he found and read and was like, oh, no one else can read this. You mean the Ten Commandments? No. No, it's a Mormonism. it's a Mormonism. It was fun. We went snowmobiling. That was the best part. I need to post some pictures of you. You look cool. I do look cool. <laughs> For once in your life, yeah. Honestly, skiing out here just tricking people because they think I'm cool now. Yep, they do. You're not. It's okay. The skiing was. Oh fun. yeah, I mean, they all the like, all the kids in Utah probably think you're real cool. They no, I meant the people back home thought I was cool. Oh uh, uh, okay. no. No one believed it was actually you. You shoved a kid off a ski lift. 
No, I didn't. <laughs> I hate this conversation. You shoved a child off a ski Yeah, No, I'm not surprised. I didn't. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. No, there was a kid. They had a, like a lessons going on. And uh, one of the teachers was like, can he ride up with you guys? And we're like, okay. And he got on the ski lift with us. And his skis said Thomas on him. We're like, are you having fun, Thomas? He was like, my name is Mason. <laughs> Sorry, Mason. <laughs> okay. But he didn't keep his like tips up when we got to the the top the top and he his uh ski got caught and he like fell off of it face planted yeah i face planted him but he was okay and the guy operating the lift like ran out and like picked him up probably you saw that yeah well i've been skiing once and i do kind of remember it do you remember being good or bad at it oh i was bad i just fell down a lot i didn't fall i just the mountain was very big yeah the sounds like if i pick up too much speed i lose control right pizza french fry pizza french fry Okay, I got a couple of reviews. Is that what you're making us hold for? Yes. You're in a holding <laughs> pattern. Excellent find. We came across your show on Instagram and decided to give it a listen. Very glad we did. The hosts are a breath of fresh air and a joy to listen to. I might have read this last time. Yeah, I did. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm not going to read it. I'm you, so shouldn't, f- you shouldn't cut that. <laughs> I don't know how often you cut stuff like that, know. but you shouldn't do it. You probably all the time. No. I'm so glad I found this podcast. I listen to you guys every day while I'm at work. I love the banter. It always makes me laugh and it's always bright always brightens my day. I was born and raised in South Bend, Indiana. Funny enough, that's where our awesome. the case Ooh. is from today. And I love learning about the different crimes that you have happened in your God, I can't talk. Crimes that have happened in our lovely state. Don't ever stop being UPS Go Irish. All right. <laughs> from South Bend. Go that's Irish. From, uh J and C two thousand eighteen. Cool. Okay, now this is funny, and I wasn't sure if this would happen or not. I re-released an episode from 2018, and remember I told you it was the one that you got your left your cell phone in and an the Uber, Uber, yeah, yeah, so in the whole deal, and then it was about it was from 1868. It was like that buggy ride mm. moment, and the people died near the White River. Mm-hmm. Well, during at the end of that, you say I will give stickers to anyone who can use the word paddywhack in a review. <laughs> 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 Really patty wax my jaggins, which I don't know. Right. I don't know what that means. All right, but this is great because they're going to be honest first. I hated it at first, <laughs> <laughs> but then I selected another episode and noticed a minute marker in the description there to let you know the exact place the banter ends and the story starts. All See, right. that's what you're supposed to do. Thank but, you. But after a few episodes, I've grown to enjoy the banter. Oh, see, that's nice. Oh. I'm glad I gave it another shot as a Hoosier myself. Portage, Indiana? Never heard of it? Uh, I feel like I have. It's nice to find interesting stories about our state, especially when it's read by fellow Hoosiers and not Illinois people that that need to shut their mouths. <laughs> I don't know. This person's been wronged by an Illinois person. That's from DA48646. I feel like those are just random numbers. But anyways, yeah. I appreciate that. So now we have to send, if you can use the word paddywhack in a review, you need stickers. But I need your address. And also we have new Patreon people, but I also have to have your address. Danielle, another Patreon, is named Danielle. Yay. It's me, myself. I signed up to give myself <laughs> I a be dollar. Surprised. And lose four cents to Patreon each time. <laughs> and then Carrie also signed up. So thank you very much. If anyone that is a new Patreon member or an old Patreon member that really wants another set of stickers, you just have to email me your address. Otherwise, I can't send them. It's just not humanly possible. Right? Right. Cool. Right. Okay, I feel like I've caught up on some of that, you know? I appreciate the person doing that. How much is Can the dog? You, the you guys crunches. got tattoos. 
Oh, yeah, we got tattoos. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That was really spur of the moment, too. I Daniel, like okay, not, not 100%. Oh, well, we had to wait for you to get home from work. I mean, it was, no, that's not true. That's not true. In the middle of the night, he has been sick. So he was sleeping a whole lot. And then his sleep schedule was like off, you know, because you got too much sleep. Yeah. But I was on the same. <laughs> and it was like 1.30 in the morning or something, which is actually kind of early for me. But I was asleep. And then the dog started barking. So I came out here to see what it is. And he was out here and he starts rattling off ideas for tattoos. And I'm just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, I just remember. And I was like, you were explaining it to me and showing pictures. You were real excited. And I was like, okay. <laughs> this sounds great. I'm going back to bed now. But then I wasn't sure. I figured he would be done with it at that point. Like he was just excited because he had plenty of sleep and was up late and maybe too much caffeine that day. <laughs> but then... At work, I think I texted you. Was like, you get over that whole tattoo thing. I was like, I, nope. You're like, nope. It's lit. It's lit. I was like, was doing it. And so we were texting back and forth what we wanted. And so we did the clotter ring. It's not uncommon. I like it though. I know you had a ring like that, didn't you? Yeah, I just I used to wear rings every single day, and then I'm just going through a phase where I don't wear them anymore. Okay. And when you meet somebody, you're not allowed to rip off our idea. Don't, trust me, I won't. Trust me, I won't. <laughs> I'll put something else, like a middle finger on my finger. A middle finger <laughs> on your finger. I like that. So, yeah. Was it love, loyalty, and friendship? It's from Galloway. Yeah, it's live, laugh, love. No, it is not. <laughs> just you take that back, you dirty hoe. <laughs> you take that back. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I hate that. <laughs> I thought it was eat, pray, queef. Yeah. <laughs> What is the aliens? It's like exist. Oh my affection. god, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> Those aliens. I mean, you know what we're talking about. Uh-huh. The very literal what are aliens. They, the guys. Hold on, I want to. It's called uh, Strange Planet. Okay. And he does Strange Planet comics. Comics, but they're very. They are very literal. Yes. And what does he say about the? It's a comic about the honey. Yes. And the- he was like. I stole this from insects. <laughs> they regurgitated it. So I took it. <laughs> and the guy goes, well, if it's almost good enough for them, it's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> They're so funny. I know. You should follow him. His uh, his uh, handle is Nathan W. Pyle Strange Planet. Survive, chuckle, show affection. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> chuckle. Chuckle. It is a chuckle. <laughs> we could have that made. And we'll put it right there on that wall. I like it. Because <laughs> we have an episode we make fun of that where like, it was semen. Oh, what was it? That's not a good spot to <laughs> no, forget blood. where we're going. Like blood. <laughs> <laughs> semen. It was like blood serum semen dead elephants. It was something like oh, that. Oh, I remember we that episode that where we're like, sure. yeah. yeah, we're like, that's really terrible. <laughs> I try to forget about the horrible things I say on this show. Same. I don't. <laughs> I listen to them like two or three times, happen to edit it. <laughs> oh, and I'm like, is that too horrible to leave in? I'm like, Meh, should be yeah, okay. Just do it. Okay, so I think we've got enough here. This isn't as long, like it, compared to especially that one we did. The hey, medical. It was a lot com- of info to take. It was. In, uh, but it wasn't bad information yeah. to have. But yes, everyone can go sign up for our Patreon. We've got Casey Anthony, Jody Aries, JFK. What's another Patreon? Well, then we have some other random ones, but we do some of the bigger ones, and we haven't done a bigger one in a while. No, but the last one we did was really good. Yeah. Was it? You'll just have to pay and go listen go. to it. Is that the bomb? Is that what you're talking about? Mm-hmm. And we did another one too. Oh, is that? Oh no, we talked. Oh this- wait, no, we did the bomb, and then what else did we do? It was like a couple that kills people. 
Yeah. And they also had a scrapbooking store. That's right. <laughs> so so like weird. That. It's so weird. And they had a snake named Hitler Reggie. and HIV. That's just my pet snake, Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like there's a fucked up weird people that kill that own a scrapbooking store. Anyways, that's you one of the put Patreon a sound clip in there. My pet snake, Reggie. Okay. <laughs> a bomb it was harvey's wagon wheel casino in the 1980s that that's, like that's wow. i'm surprised there's not a movie about i that know one. there i feel like there should be it was very complex like this dum-dum was actually very smart when it came to building bombs just not getting money out of people for his bombs so it's like so that was a lot of information and i had to scale it down even and dad was falling asleep while we were recording it <laughs> but i was like dad can you build a bomb he goes yes <laughs> <laughs> What is it? It's an episode of New Girl, and he's like, I can't. He's like, I can't go to jail. I haven't even arranged for someone to delete my internet history. Yeah. He's like, I was never going to actually make a bomb. I just wanted to know how. <laughs> I never would have done it. But Dad was just like, like a pipe bomb. He could have. He's like, that's what he could have made. Which, funny enough, when that explosion happened, that's what I thought was at our front door. You know, like every like your mm-hmm. brain tries to make sense of it, and some people thought the car drove into a, the garage, mm-hmm. uh, which wouldn't have happened on our street. Because it was a court, kind of. But I thought someone put a pipe bomb at our front door. That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Who um, did we piss off? Who, I mean, Hard Dad. to tell with your parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, who do we owe money to? I mean, probably not your mother, but <laughs> may, quite possibly your dad. Yeah. No, I think him and I, we sat down and looked at it one day. I didn't understand how it was like, how it functioned. But it has to do with like pressure. And then the thing is, I didn't realize that people put like shit in it. In pipe bombs? Yeah, like like Shards nails and shit. And nail, yeah. I'm like, that's fucked up. It's mean. It's like extra mean. Yeah. It's like blowing up your house. Extra mean. Okay, but it's not like they filled their house with glass shards. There's glass shards in the oh. windows. <laughs> Never mind. It's too <laughs> complex. Anyways, this is from South Bend, Indiana. That's where this is. The person is from there. And they, right. they hate it. They hate South Bend. Can you tell us where South Bend's located? Yeah, tell us where South Bend's um, It is, is um, in northwest Indiana, right on Lake Michigan. No, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> How many times have you been to South Bend and you don't know where it's at? I know it's like a three-hour like drive. Dead, it's almost like dead center, almost at the top of the state. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's over. Yeah, there. I was not thinking that. No, you More weren't thinking less. that. Notre Dame, that's South I Bend. I know, but I always thought it was close to the lake. 
It, it is yeah. close to the lake, okay. but it's not not as like, close as I'm saying. I wouldn't call mm-hmm. it Northwest Indiana. Okay, okay, I get, I get. Is it three hours from here, north? Basically. North. You should just, I should just say straight, straight north. north. And there's no fun way to get there, and the drive is not a fun drive. Yeah, that is very true. I yeah. disagree with that. I don't think it's a bad drive. I think it's just enough to be too much. I think I yeah. it it no to me South Bend is my limit in driving a car. Yeah, okay, that's, yeah. yeah, same. Yeah. Well, they built that new road that kind of went. I bet someone would. Eh, this might be classified Northwest. You're gonna say she was right? No, no, no. no. North, Northwest Central. North Central. Okay, Northwest Central. That's Anyways, that's Notre Dame. We've been there several times. Definitely didn't get into school there. I applied, but I forgot to finish my application. So you, for all you know, you might have been accepted. I don't think so. No, no. I don't, I don't even. Want uh, I have a diploma on my wall from Notre Dame. Whose name is on it? Not mine, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> well, it is a. It is. It's your grandpa. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we didn't like. We, I felt like we should say that so you don't go. Wow, they went out and bought somebody's diploma. Oh, stole it out of someone's house, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, we had two uncles graduate from Notre Dame. Yeah, sure. And my yes. grandfather, the two we don't speak to. Mm. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Okay. Have you ever heard of Michael Alig? Michael Alig. Are you sure? Mm-mm, Michael Alig. I can't say it. How am I supposed to know if I've ever heard of him if you can't get the last name? A-L-I-G. Was born in 1966 and raised in South Bend, Indiana. Right? Born in 19... 19- mm-hmm. Born when? 1966. Oh, I thought you gave a date before that. Mm-mm. Michael is the second of two sons born to John and Elk Alig. His mother, a native of Germany. <laughs> How do you spell it? A L I G. Al it's Alec. I listened to someone else say it, but okay. my my brain wants to say A a different way. Alec. Eilig. Whatever. So it's German. So Eilig. Eilig. No. They moved to the United States after marrying his father, a computer programmer, and the couple divorced when Michael was four. He attended Grissom Middle School and Penn High School, where he was a straight A student and graduated in the top eight percent of his class. So he's a Damn. smart person. During his teenage years, Michael reported that he was often bullied because of his homosexuality. Oh. So he's the South Bend in the 70s or whatever, early 80s, and being gay. And it probably didn't work out real well. That sucks. I think his parents were accepting, though, which is at least you got that one going for you. But I'm sure it's a football, it's sports-centered, academic sports, and probably not as much creative arts at the time. I don't know what Notre Dame was into. I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, but I'm yeah, sure, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure Everywhere they else, no, it was. That was definitely not the case. I don't know how it was at Notre Dame. Now, obviously, it's much different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know. What was I going to say? Yeah, I don't know how accepting the culture was in general of homosexuality in that area during that time. You mean other than the priest? Yeah, other than the priest. <laughs> Probably have to cut that out. Maybe. Nah, whatever. <laughs> um, Come on, Carla. That was fucking hey. funny. Hi. I'm Michael. I grew up in the Midwest. Usual story. Felt different. But I wasn't going to turn the other cheek. No siree. I started selling candy in school. Jacked up the prices several hundred percent. This is my Michael. He was always making money. He just, he had a knack for it. 
My little candy man. Let's see. What else? Oh, once when I was ten, my Sunday school teacher took me back to his house. He taught me how to French kiss, among other things. He really took my boy under his wing. Very nice man. His mother caught us in the basement. She screamed, I told you not to bring them here. And he said, don't, you'll frighten them away. <laughs> One night, Michael gave me a good night kiss. That a little boy should not give his mother. <laughs> I thought everyone kissed like that. So like any small town boy, I had big time plans. So it should come as no surprise that I ended up in New York City. <laughs> So the documentary is Glory Days. Is it Glory Days or Glory Holes? Glory Days, The Life and Times of Michael Alleg. And that's, I think it's on Netflix. Oh, it's a show. Yeah. And I listened to True Crime Obsessed. Oh, I didn't do my, my sources. I'm going to go to hell. Okay. You're gonna no, you're going to get arrested. That's what's going to get arrested. <laughs> and someone will come in and wipe your podcast from existence. Yeah. Okay. Wikipedia, Verity.com. ClydeFitcherReport.com, NYMag.com, Ranker.com, PsychologyToday.com, True Crime Obsessed, and True Crime Couple. A lot of this was from Wikipedia, but I filled it in with other stuff. So you can't just say I copied and pasted from Wikipedia. Got it? And during the documentary, I think they go on and on about how awful South Bend, Indiana was. Oh, no. And it's like, I don't think it was that bad. Like, boring, yes. Flat, Yes. Maybe not as accepting as it could have been, but I don't know if it was awful. Well, no. I mean, they won two national titles in the 70s. Yeah, see? Rudy was there. Rudy, yeah. You know. But I think the mayor now, who's the, was it Pete Buttigieg that was the mayor of South Bend? Right now? Well, he's running for president, so I don't think he is now. No. I don't know for was sure. he from South Bend, though? Confirm yes. this. Yes. Okay, he's gay. So they had yeah. him, so all this, like, how terrible South Bend is, it hates gay people. Well, nowadays they had a gay So marriage. look, everything gets better. We're better. Yeah. Just give it a- um, seeking a less conservative social environment after graduating in 1984, he attended Fordham University, Fordham University in New York City. He studied architecture there before transferring to the Fashion Institute of Technology, where he was introduced to the New York City nightlife. He soon dropped out of school and began working at Dancerita as a busboy. But apparently Dancerita was like, it sounds cheesy or like scummy, but it was a big, like Madonna and stuff started there. So I think it was a big to-do. Hmm. I like Madonna. Mm-hmm. Like it's not just some hole in the wall. I mean, maybe all of New York was a hole in the wall. They talk a lot about that, about how New York in the 80s was a, it was a rough place. I've only been to New York once, and that was in 2004. I thought you went, I thought you saw the, uh, I thought you went to Paris. <laughs> no! <Right>? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were in you Why? What makes you say that? Because I called mom, and I go, we're going to go see the Eiffel Tower. And she goes, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> I meant the Empire State Building. It's what I meant. I was not drinking. No, I'm just a little confused. Okay, so did you actually go to the Empire State Yeah, and we went all the way to the top, and it was so fucking cloudy and windy, you couldn't see a goddamn thing. Well, one of us has actually been to the Eiffel Tower, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was it I haven't been to the other one. Mm -hmm. Um, We went up on it, and then you just kind of look around, and I'm like, where's the Eiffel Tower? But didn't you say Paris (laughs) is kind of a shithole? Um, It's very beautiful, but there's just so many fucking people, like, trying to steal your shit, and... Uh. 
And I feel like there isn't there a a mental disorder that people that have high expectations for Paris go there and are really depressed. Oh, it was. Uh, it's. I think it's like more specific to uh, tourists from China. Yeah, like, like they, it's a big deal in China to go to to go to France and visit. And it's Paris, oversold. And to then them. they get there, and then Paris is just it's just really dirty. It's not now, what you picture in your brain. And, yeah, so it's like it's very beautiful from a bus window. Is what I said. Like from a bus, but so you could have an unreal unrealistic expectation in your head of how it's gonna be, and then it's like it's not. There's exactly. just it's really just not a place you can walk leisurely. Like you have to be just aware of. Yourself Where's a good place you time. could do that overseas? Example. So if you were going to go to, if you wanted to still go to, if you still want to go to France, <laughs> we are from France. Uh, go to South France. Yes, South France. I would say okay. you could do that and. Yeah, the, there was plenty of places though you felt safe. It wasn't like, yeah, yeah, I loved like, around. I loved Poland and I can have Poland. Have you seen that meme? Can I has Poland? Can I has Poland? It's the little cat with the Hitler stash. He goes, I can has Poland. It's terrible. Sorry, it's terrible. It is terrible, but I loved Krakow and. There are other places you yeah. can. I mean, Prague was fine. Where'd you get your tattoo? That's what we were talking about. Oh, I got the, my tattoo in the Budapest. That's what I couldn't remember Budapest. where it was. My guess was Ireland, and then no, no, it was before that. But I was like, I wanted to. Me and mom were just kind of. We were honestly rushed. Yeah, that's you guys. But saying. this time we're going. We're spending four days in Dublin. Four whole days. When Actually, are you going? Uh, Dad doesn't know yet. Dad, so, Daniel didn't um, know either. He's finding <laughs> out right now. When are you going? Um, over Labor Day again. <laughs> so I guess then we're not going to Disney World this year. No, we still can. It wasn't very expensive. No, How it's expensive? not. Mom was telling it? I it think like? it was each a thousand dollars. Oh, really? That's yeah. It. yeah. It's so cheap. Like when you plan it in advance and you do it, and through. we're just like we're. It's a four day Dublin one. We're just going to stay a couple extra days mm-hmm. and go up to the north. It's it's going to be low key. I mean, the other one's pretty low key too, in my opinion. But yeah, we can do both again, man. I don't need my money. I don't need my monies. <laughs> Keeping warm. Well, I I need mine. My money's not keeping me warm at night. Oh, wait. Yeah, it is. Okay. Anyways, we can do this. While working at Dancerita, Michael studied the nightclub business and soon became a party promoter. His ability to stage memorable parties held him helped him rise in New York party scene. During this time, he and other regular club goers began creating flamboyant personas and later became known as... Drag queens. The club kids. But oh. yes. I was going to say queer eye. Well, no, I mean, For the straight guy. <laughs> Club Kids, a group of people who were known throughout the Manhattan dance scene for their over-the-top outfits, theatrical personas, and outrageous antics. They wore jaw-dropping costumes that former member James St. James later described as part drag, part clown, part infantilism, which I guess, like, kids and... I don't know if there was, like, any Disney characters. <laughs> the Club Kids aesthetic emphasized outrageousness, flamboyanceness, and sex. Gender was fluid, and everything was DIY. Do it yourself. <laughs> it was a statement of individuality and sexuality which ran the gamut, and it was a form of tapping into an inner fabulousness within themselves and bringing it out. They were also known for their frequent uses of drugs cocaine, and alcohol, ketamine, known as special K, oh, ecstasy, rohypnol, heroin, and cocaine. Okay. I think, though, I don't know how they had the money for all this, but they would spend the day putting together these insane outfits, all DIY stuff, and by the end of the night, the outfit would be destroyed. So the next day you got to start over again for because you party like four nights in a row just kind of like so you're, if you're doing uppers you can stay up for three mm-hmm. days mm-hmm. but it so and the outfits are insane I think a big deal was of shoes really tall shoes almost like Lady Gaga esque is where she might have picked like that's mm-hmm. what like to us she's 
more recent in our brains than this would be. But that idea, just insane outfits. I like it. It sounds fun. Yeah, I bet it was I mean, a lot the of fun. Not the part, but the club kids outrage. Sure. <laughs> The club's kids' outrageousness became a source of interest for the media, and articles about them appeared in such media outlets as Newsweek, People, and Time. They also appeared on Donahue, The Joan Rivers Show. RuPaul was part of this. I was mm-hmm. I was getting ready to ask. That. Yeah, and Michael also appeared with several other club kids on a talk show hosted by Geraldo Rivera, where they answered questions about their clothing, makeup, drug use, and careers. And I think they asked him, what do you want? Uh, how do you feel like your your friends and family back home in Indiana would feel about all this? He's like, they'd be jealous. Ooh. Ooh and it's like, <laughs> sting. And it's like, probably not. But I mean, maybe. <laughs> probably have more they, fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's more fun. Told you, Indiana is boring. That's why we started why, a podcast. I don't think it's boring. Okay. How I have do fun. you leave the state? All the time. All the time. So it doesn't feel as boring. But it's a good place to call home. Yes, it is. It's very comfortable. I like that. And every time I, I come back, I sing. <laughs> In your head or out loud. Like you're Both. <laughs> His, At least I'm not the only person that thinks that every time they fly back in. I literally, like, I, I was kind of stuck comes in out. my head. It just comes out of you. Yeah. <laughs> in 1988, Michael was hired by the owner of the Limelight, Peter Gatton. The club established an abandoned Episcopal church on 6th Avenue, and it provided a desanctified getaway for hip-hop, ecstasy, and a musical phenomenon imported from the UK known as raves. So that's what, it all sounds like raves shit. Yeah. The song in particular. His parties at the Limelight were such a hit that he began organizing parties for his other clubs, USA, the Palladium, and Tunnel. This is the former Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion, built in 1844. By the end of the 1990s, it was anything but holy. Between the late 1980s and the turn of the century, the Limelight was one of New York City's most infamous clubs and attracted all sorts of people from all around the world. Artists like Grace Jones, Marilyn Manson, Chuck Berry, Cindy Lauper would all perform here. Limelight was also home for the club kids. These were an influential group of people that dressed up in elaborate costumes and partied the night away. All of these would eventually come crashing. <laughs> would come, okay, all of these would come to a crashing end when the advent of Mayor Rudy Giuliani, who's together with the federal prosecutors, killed New York's nightlife and made Gianti's life a living hell with his quality of life crackdown on Manhattan nightclub. So. Like all of that comes Evil to an Rudy end. Rudy Giuliani yeah, he, trying to stop all the drugs. He and... did smush it all. So no, there was a lot of legal shit going on. Well, yeah, on. but you know who was? I mean, I think the mob was providing a lot of the drugs. Yeah, interesting. So Michael's notorious outlaw parties, which were thrown in various conventional places, including a Burger King. All right, a Dunkin' Donuts. Even if you've better. never been to a party at Dunkin' Donuts, you know abandoned just... houses. Okay. It's more like okay, that's not as cool. Yeah. That's more that. like squatting than a subway station, not the restaurant, the actual New York subway, <laughs> which helped to revitalize the downtown New York City club scene after artist Andy Warhol died in 1987. So that was a big like he's like they're coming in the wake of him. Like his death had a big impact on this kind of counterculture environment, and they didn't have their you know their leader anymore, their person that they followed and looked up to. And he had like what is the club that he had? the factory or something yeah yeah and it's like and people that were in his movies were also kind of these people so with michael alec coming in and starting this like he was like i'll carry it don't worry guys you can follow me right down to this dunkin donuts 
We'll have a party. <laughs> Blasting music from a boombox and dancing until the police cleared them out, Michael even threw a party in a cardboard shanty town rented from its homeless inhabitants, whom he paid with cash and crack cocaine. He ensured that such events always happened in the vicinity of an actual club to which the group could decamp to. Like, right. okay, well, we disrupted this cardboard town. Let's go to our club. The fuck? Yeah. I think they even, like, commandeered city buses. And the police are so busy with all the other crimes. It's like, just, they're like, well, the homosexuals we don't have time for right now. So they could kind of get away with more things, like stealing city buses for a while. Damn. Well, you know, if you've never seen... A group of drag queens stealing a bus. I mean, that's Have something really I would lived? want to see. <laughs> we almost went to a drag show in California, didn't we? Yeah. I would have wanted to do that. I was down. I can't remember why we didn't end Your up Your sister going. was okay. Yeah. Probably a few other people weren't on your, the males in your family, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. At the beginning of Michael's rise, he was essentially sober, practically anti-drug, devoting every waking minute to pulling off impossible feats of decadent fun. He didn't perform tricks, he performed feats. <laughs> Journalist Michael Musto said of Michael Alig and his fellow club kids, cult of crazy fashion and petulance, they are terminally superficial, have dubious aesthetic values, and are master manipulators, explorers, and thank God, partiers. So it's just very self-absorbed. They were master debaters. Yeah. Michael Alec was a kid who came from the Midwest and exploded on the scene of nightlife. He worked his way up to become the leader of the club kids. Love your haircut. I mean, it's Thank just you. sensational. <laughs> well, low maintenance. I see that. It's great. I don't know. I guess they're jealous because I'm having a lot of fun and they're not. <laughs> when Michael started, he was reckless and bratty and fun. And I liked his charisma. I liked his ideas for club parties. And I liked the way he wanted to shake up the bourgeoisie and the banality and, and get attention for himself. So, though that gradually led to a spiraling. And there was a dark side from the beginning. But at first, we were kind of captivated by the dark side. Ooh, he has nerve. He really can shake things up. He's got, you know, the cojones to go there. But eventually, it became more out of control and less cute. Before I knew it, he was throwing big parties. Everyone was following him. A whole legion of club kids was saying, Michael, Michael. And I would turn around, and it's like, no, Michael Ehrlich, not you. The club kept hiring him. I kept going to his parties. We all sort of enabled it in some way, but also I was there not just to celebrate him, which I did on talk shows when I said nightlife is a wonderful place for many LGBT youth. We make our own rules in the clubs. Nobody is there to say, you can't dress like that. You can't behave like that. You shouldn't be doing that. We can do whatever we want. A lot of LGBT kids found a home here. They could work within the, the scene. They could enjoy themselves, bond. Some of them had been thrown out by parents or weren't accepted by their parents, and here they were accepted. But I also was there to chastise and, and say when he went overboard, which was often. And Michael even had a party here at Limelight that was like a blood feast thing with, you know, dismembered limbs and imagery like that, which made you wonder what he was thinking about. But big parties, big shows, and he even would take people's drugs from them and flush them. Like, I don't want your drugs around me. Like, this is just meant to be fun. Like, it's not about your drugs and being fucked up here. So that's how he felt wow. about it at the beginning. At the beginning. Michael's parties also became notorious due in part to his own bad behavior. He intentionally and gleefully behaved like everyone's worst nightmare, thumbing his nose at the idea 
of acceptable behavior. He would throw $100 bills at the crowded dance floors just to watch people scramble to pick them up. And they're all in their really tall, tall heel shoes, you know. So it's like tossing $100 bills out on top of people. They'll be pushing each over each other over to get to them. You think I wouldn't push someone? I would push someone over. Oh, so now it's okay. Not Sage Steel. <laughs> I'm you like, can't I'm... push for Sage Steel, but you can push if there's money. I'm just money. saying, I didn't understand why the moms were pushing us. <laughs> Maybe she was giving out hundred dollar bills. <laughs> she could have been. Uh, in other instances, he would urinate on club goers or piss in their drinks. Uh, I don't know why. That's not right. In stage falls, wherein he knocked others to the ground. I don't like, oh, I'm falling over. Damn these high heels. Oh. <laughs> knock people over just for fun. <laughs> I don't know. As his popularity in the club scene grew, so did his drug use. Oh, so now it's kind of cool. He was binging every night on stupefying cocktails of heroin, Special K, Rohypnol, and cocaine. Special K is like a horse tranquilizer, isn't it? Yes, like, that shit will so. really fuck you up. So they're mixing uppers and downers. Well, well, if you've never partied on horse tranquilizers. I've done none of those drugs. I know nothing about this. He was arrested several times for drug offenses and entered rehab, but continued to use drugs. In 1995, his boss sent him to rehab once again. Michael later claimed that after he completed his stint and was released, he was still fired. Uh, Some of Michael's behavior could be explained by a personality disorder. He reports being diagnosed with histrionic personality disorder. Which is? Histrionic personality disorder is characterized by constant attention-seeking, emotional overreaction, and seductive behavior. People with this condition tend to overdramatize situation, situations which may impair relationships and lead to depression. Yet they are highly suggestible, easily susceptible to the influence of others. The doctor said I was the most extreme case he'd ever seen. <laughs> Everything has to be completely over the top and exaggerated. It worked well for my job. I was a promoter. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there's like narcissistic personality disorder, probably bipolar disorder. Like there's probably a bunch of shit in there, but one of which was histrionic. Here's another party party goer I'm going to introduce you. Party goal. Party goal. (laughs) Andre Angel Melendez was born in 1971 and his family arrived in New York from Colombia when he was eight years old. Angel was a regular at the New York City club scene and worked at the Limelight, among other clubs, where he sold drugs in the 1990s that'll do it that'll do it he was frequently seen at manhattan clubs wearing his signature giant feathered angel wings in flame emblazoned boots so giant like uh victoria's secret size eight like big angel wings and then boots with like flames on them so it's like i don't know what the symbolism is there (laughs) i don't After the limelight was closed by federal agents and an investigation found that the owner was allowing drugs to be sold there, Angel was fired. Shortly thereafter, he moved into Michael Alex River West Apartment, Riverbank West Apartment near Hell's Kitchen. <laughs> that made me think of, <laughs> what is it? Coming to America. Take me to Queens. I don't know how close Queens is to Hell's <laughs> Kitchen, but it made me think of that. Oh. I love that show. I know, it's good. On the night of March 17th, 1996, Michael... And Angel got into an argument about an outfit. Oh. <laughs> Which escalated into a much uglier fight about money that Angel was owed for the drugs he gave to Michael. He's a sad guy. I know. The fight turned oh, violent. Wow. The fight turned violent when Angel began shaking Michael and pushed him into a wall slash china cabinet. Michael then pleaded for help and his roommate, Robert D. Freeze Riggs, Grabbed a hammer from the closet and hit Angel over the head, trying to knock him unconscious so he would stop strangling Michael. After which, Michael smothered him either with a pillow or a sweatshirt. 
Michael and Freeze were so fucked up on drugs that they didn't truly believe that Angel was, in fact, dead. So So they placed a spoon under his nose to see if he was breathing and thought that they saw his stomach rising. Next, they stripped Angel of his clothes and any drugs he had on him, then placed his lifeless body in a tub full of water so he would wake up. You know, if you're, like, submerged underwater, your body will startle you awake. But if you're dead, that's not going to work. It's not going to work. Well, at least they tried to save him, right? Uh, No, I don't think so. They initially left the body in the bathtub, which they filled with ice and leaned a mattress against the bathroom door while they spent a week in a drugged-induced stupor hosting parties all the while, but told their guests to use a different bathroom. The odor was just a sewer issue. Oh, no, it wasn't. Yeah. So at least they had the two-bathroom That's what I try to lie and tell people. Oh, we have a bathroom issue. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you Carla's be- been here. <laughs> I was like, who are you going to blame this on? Uh, and still trying to convince themselves that the body would no longer be there once they opened the bathroom door. Like, they're yeah, so fucked not- up, they think that if I just ignore it long enough, it'll go away. Someone will just show up and clean it up for us. Mm-hmm. As the undeniable stench grew worse, the pair used baking soda and even designer cologne in an attempt to mask the terrible that's smell. Not, that's not going to do it. No. Supposedly, Michael then poured a cleaner or chemical such as Drano into Angel's mouth and or into his veins using a syringe and then wrapped duct tape around his mouth, thus embalming the body. They're so fucked up, they think dumping chemicals into him will embalm him so he will not smell anymore and stop the decomposing process. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you have to... uh... Mm-mm, you can't man. do that a couple days after no. you've already been. And you got to like drain everything out. It's like, no. Special chemicals. Because that's like um, Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. He was embalmed. You have, to, you have to, I think the chemical actually breaks down. Yeah. You have to keep doing it. Because when Ken, uh, Lincoln was assassinated, they put his body on a train and he did a tour of the U.S. Yeah, we talked about it. We did. Yeah, when Barb was here. The ghost train. Oops. Oops. Wait, I want to know. I wasn't here. Okay, go ahead. Well, maybe people listening haven't heard that. The detail. infamous ghost yeah. of Indy. That's what it is. Do they pass? Do you remember when they're on the train? Do they pass through uh, Louisville? Shut up. No one likes you. <laughs> really? Yep. Okay. Okay. Nine days later, after discussing what to do with Angel's body and who should do it, Freeze went to Macy's to buy knives two chef knives and one cleaver and a box. Um, Macy's. I guess they do sell Martha Stewart cutlery, right? Fucking Martha Stewart. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm trying to figure out their thought process here. In exchange for 10 bags of heroin, Michael Alec agreed to dismember the body after he got high. He cut Angel's legs off and put them in separate garbage bags, then into separate duffel bags. The rest of the body was put into a large box that Freeze had removed the UPC codes from. So they're smart, right? They know what we're going to, you know, it can't be traced to us. Michael later said, we, we did it relatively quickly, cutting at the joints. As, after successfully chopping up the 25-year-old's corpse, the pair had to figure out how to actually dispose of Angel Melendez's remains. So, like, we've cut it up, but, like... Now what? Now what? Together, they took the heavy box down the elevator and through the main lobby and then placed it in the trunk of a yellow cab that happened to be just right out front. Over the river and through the woods. (laughs) (laughs) They went to the Hudson River to dispose of the body parts. 
The pair, however, forgot to poke a couple holes in the bottom of the cardboard box, so it would so it simply floated along instead of sinking. You think they stood? The, you think they pushed it off and stood there and went? Oh man! Yeah, they did because one of them was like, "I got to go get it," and it's like, "No, no!" Like the longer we're near the body, the more risk we're in. But then I think they took the same taxi back to their apartment. Like, you know, if anyone they questioned about the time, they're like, "Yeah," and I know where they live too. Yeah, and like because some kids they said it was like China they were dumping out, like you know, into the Hudson. Yeah, <laughs> what? Okay. In the weeks following Angel's disappearance, Michael allegedly told anyone who would listen. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> that he and Robert Freeze Riggs had killed him. So th- he'll tell anyone that will listen that, yeah, I killed this dude. Most people did not believe him and thought his confession was a ploy to get attention. However, Michael Musto, recall- he's a journalist, recalls by the time Michael sent out a party invite joking about the murder, a lot of people wanted to kill him, especially since the source was floating a more premeditated version of the killing. So people are starting to like, are you being serious? Like, at first they're like, oh, Michael... He's just out here for kicks, always after attention. You know that histrionic personality disorder? He's he's got that all over the place. What a funny guy. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly how that conversation went. <laughs> In April 2000, um, no. April 26, 1996, Musso reported uh, rumors of Michael Aleg's involvement in Andre Melendez's death in his Village Voice column. Although no names were used, Musso's report included the details of the murder. The following day, the New York Post, page six column, ran a lead item about the murder mystery, citing Musso's reporting, as well as New York Magazine's piece quoting an invasive Michael Alleg. April 10th, 1996, I ran a piece about how Michael had called me saying he was fired. He sounded like a mess. Uh, He said, my apartment is padlocked, I'm homeless, and he really sounded out of it. And then I asked around and said, is this what's really happening? And somebody said, yeah, but people also think that he and Freeze killed Angel. So I put obviously mention of a missing person and um, wondering what Michael knew and what he did. The buzz kept mounting, and two weeks after that, I did my famous blind item called nightclubbing, which addressed uh, a fight over drug money involving a hammer, finishing off, pillow, ultimately cutting up the body and throwing it in the river. Michael once came up to me on the street before his conviction and was promoting some party, and I was like, ooh. And he's like, you don't think I killed Angel, do you? And it was said in a very eerie, taunting way. And I thought, yeah, I do think you did. He had obviously told so many people that he did it that part of him wanted to be caught. He was screaming to get caught. Everybody was buzzing. He told a lot of people. Some people thought he was joking. Some people thought it was a stunt. You never were sure from his tone, but he wanted the word out there. He almost was wearing it as a badge of honor. Over the coming weeks, the Village Voice continued to report and make accusation about Angel's murder. So they're tar- starting to figure it out. Like, hmm. It's kind of weird how, I mean, because nowadays you wouldn't have the newspapers posting that yeah. this is who did it. It could just be all Facebook, but people get accused of shit all the time right. on Facebook. Oh, well, yeah. But I don't think the media now, because you, you've been sued enough times yeah. because... Because until you are convicted by a jury of your peers, it's all allegedly. Allegedly. Through September 1996, the police still had not questioned Michael about the murder. They were focused on his business partner, Peter Gatton, wanting Michael to testify against him. Since several months had passed, many people believed that uh, he would get away with murdering Angel until children playing in the water 
pulled a box containing a legless torso from the Ugh. waters of Oakwood Beach in New Dorp, Staten Island. A tropical storm just so happened to propel the box there instead of out to sea. So, like, really, they might have gotten away with it, but a tropical storm pushed the box a different direction. Jesus. Like, the high water levels. Uh, yeah. What are the odds? <sighs> Angel's brother was baffled by what they regarded as callous indifference by the police and by the party goers they had considered to be his friends. So, the police, I, I don't know if they were helping find Angel, really. In November 1996, the coroner reported the body had been identified as Andre Angel Melendez. Michael fled New York, but was shortly located by police in a motel room rented by his drug dealer boyfriend, Brian, in Toms River, New Jersey. He fled to New Jersey. Yeah, not very far. He was arrested, as was Robert Freeze Riggs. Shortly after his arrest, Robert confessed to police. He was like, I will tell you everything. First and foremost. I done it. Michael claimed he killed Angel in self-defense and helped dispose of the body in a panic. That's what she said. The self-defense story contrasts sharply with the account he had given the victim's brother, John Melendez, in a conversation secretly taped by the district attorney's office implicating Angel and club czar Peter Gatton in a drug-dealing venture at Gatton's night spots and charging that Freeze killed Angel for Gatton because Peter is in trouble right now for drugs and Angel knew everything and he was starting to go to his friends at the Village Voice and tell them all this stuff. So he's trying to blame someone else. Like, oh, he got killed because he was running his mouth and I had nothing to do with it. Except I was in self-defense if you think I did have something yeah. to do with it. Yeah, if you find my fingerprints anywhere, it's, it's, it's self-defense. <laughs> but if you don't, then he was in it deep with other people. Prosecutors were hesitant to charge Michael with first-degree murder as they still hoped he would testify against his former boss. Like... You know, we're cleaning up the city. We want these like drug kingpin party bosses to go under first. So if we plow him over with first degree murder, that's not a deal. He's not going to testify against his former boss. Right. Peter Gatton had been arrested for allowing drugs to be sold in his nightclubs. They eventually offered both Michael and Robert Freeze a plea deal, a sentence of 10 to 20 years if they accepted the lesser charge of manslaughter. On October 1st, 1997, both pleaded guilty. While in prison, Michael told journalist Michael Musto, I know why I, I blabbed. I must have wanted to stop me. I was spinning out of control. It's like the old saying, what do I have to do to get some attention around here? Kill somebody? I don't know if that's the old saying. No. I think it just stops it with, what do I have to do to get some attention around here? Yeah. I think that's where the saying stops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While incarcerated in the New York State prison system, Michael was transferred from prison to prison. He also spent time in the psychiatric ward at Rikers Island, which was probably pretty rough. Yeah. After leaving Rikers, he was sent to a reception facility where he and Freeze were in cells right next to each other. What are the odds? Yeah. The Someone is interviewing Michael in this statement. So when it says, I asked... If they ever talked about the night they killed Angel. What do you think we talked about? Face cream? Michael laughs. Huh. We both had the same question. And the question was, how could two such intelligent, basically good people with good intentions allow their lives to p- spin so far out of control that something like this could happen? It's like, Well, you're doing a lot of drugs and you might actually be a shitty person is how that happened. Well, you know. We know. In 2000, he was placed in solitary confinement after he was caught using heroin. That's where they put police officers who have been arrested, people who have been used as eyewitnesses, and a lot of drag queens, people on hormones. Also, half the guys there are gay. He had no access to radio or television. He did not, for example, know that 9-11 attacks had happened until a full week later. Like, people in solitary, you don't. Yeah, you wouldn't know. Wow. Like, a guard would have to tell you. He remained in solitary. I wonder for- what that was like. Oh, 
you wouldn't have all the details. Like you couldn't understand. Yeah, the world is different on the outside, but it does not any different for you in solitary confinement in yeah. prison. Yeah. He remained in solitary for another two and a half years after a drug test showed that he was still using drugs. I was so inconsolably depressed and feeling so worthless there, says Michael. You're in your cell 24 hours a day. The only way you know what time of day it is, what time of day it is, is when the food comes. Breakfast is at six, lunch at 11, dinner is at four, which is an old person's schedule. <laughs> and get this. He was a heroin dealer in prison from solitary confinement, which I can't really understand how that works. Uh, don't ask me. Yeah. Um, his mom was smuggling in a bundle a week, which is 10 bags. And he was in a facility called Southport. I don't know where that is. But he says it's famous for the shit and piss throwing. Ew. Because the inmates have wow. no access to each other, what they do is fill cups with shit and piss and throw it at each other. <laughs> it gets better. You get caught doing it once, they keep your hands handcuffed behind your back so you can't throw anything. For how long? I don't know. So, if you really still want to get your neighbor with shit, guess what you do? You put it in your mouth. And no. when you get to the yard, you spit it on someone. So no. you hold your own shit in your mouth just so you can spit it at someone else. Like, that's commitment. I don't know, like, what would be worth it to no. do that? Like, it's one thing if you pee in a cup and toss it at someone, which is still assault with bodily fluids. But like, at least it's sterile assault. Yeah. Oh, God, so bad. Wait, did you see on Instagram, I did the little thing. It was like, which IU building are you? Yeah. And Riley did it. And she was like, I got Jordan Hall. That's why I got peed on. Yeah. So we talked about that in the <laughs> Hannah Wilson murder, I think. Mm-hmm. Is it? That, yeah. We talked because you talked about IU for a while. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a building I got peed yeah. on. <laughs> in August 2004, his longtime friend and mentor, James St. James, began to blog entitled Phone Calls from a Felon. The blog contained transcripts of phone conversations between Michael Alig and St. James about his experiences in prison. The first one, dated August 5th, 2004, was subtitled Fabulous, but True Tales from Inside the Big House. These are just brilliantly titled. (laughs) In that conversation, Michael compared the gym in prison to the Roxy dance floor, the enduring epicenter of the Chelsea Music Boy nightlife. That's where the weightlifters are. All these topless, shirtless, muscle-tattooed Puerto Ricans, all sweaty and glistening, and they're listening to Sylvester, which I don't know what that means. The post went on to detail everything from a tranny named Beatrice who tried to castrate herself with the lid of a tuna can to gory and terrifying stories of near-miss encounters with gangbangers on bloody rampages to oddly touching tales of Michael's occasional prison romances. I was like, people do buddy up in prison. It's just a lot to take in. Gay for this day. After six weeks, Michael put a stop to the phone calls, claiming people think I'm having a grand old time or that I'm trying to exploit my situation. You probably are. Michael says that it is the very fact of his isolation and loneliness, the inability to talk to anyone intelligently, or that has created this false impression that he doesn't entirely hate being in prison. While he was still in prison, Lucky editor Esther Haynes ran his Twitter account. So he still had the social media presence. But, like, I could get if you're just gossiping about what's going on, you sound like you're enjoying yourself. It's like, no, I'm just trying to stay not bored. Michael became eligible for parole in 2006. I'm thinking, wow. This is kind of exciting. I'm thinking parole. I'm thinking home. Then he met his parole officer. He did not seem like the fabulous type. He did not understand the fabulous type. He told me that I'm a little bit too fabulous. He didn't use those words. He said, tell me why there's so much publicity around your case. I said, well, have you seen the movie? His first parole request was denied. Reportedly, (laughs) after parole officers watched the film Party Monster 2003, 
a fictionalized account of Michael's life starring Macaulay, Macaulay Culkin. Col- yeah. yeah, I was thinking. I know that movie. But it's fictionalized. Like, it's not accurate, but they still, the parole board watched it, said, that's good enough for us to judge you by this fictionalized account of your life and deny you parole. And they flat out even said, I think the parole officer said, I watched that shit and you're staying the fuck in here. It's like, I don't think you can do that. I would have been like, didn't you see that I I wasn't in it? It's (laughs) fictionalized. He was like, I hated Home Alone. Yeah. (laughs) He was again denied parole in July 2008 after failing several drug tests. I don't know of any other story in modern day that has so many drama queens and so many attention whores. And so I can imagine that when the DA went around asking people, you know, questions, there were people that just made up answers because they wanted to be involved in some way. They're probably not used to so many people that want to be involved in something scandalous like this because most people want to shy away from that kind of thing. But the kinds of people that are associated with this scene, they want to be in the paper and they want to be, we all wanted to be, you know, we want to get attention. And it kind of didn't matter what you, if it was negative or positive attention, just getting the attention. And then, of course, when you make a a Hollywood movie of it, so now you have a Hollywood version of an already hyped-up version, and you somewhere it turns into something completely else. There are a lot of people who just, like, they see something on film, and because it's in a movie or documentary, they think it's got to be true. There's a story that came out that said you injected his body with Drano. Is that true or false? That one is false. There's also rumors that Drano was dumped on his body. So. That that was that was true, among other things. You know, just whatever we, our drug out of minds thought would cover up any, you know, any uh, scent or... We didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we were just kind of on autopilot and just like making snap decisions and none of them good, none of them right. Um, but that's what happens when you're on drugs. You just, you, you don't... You don't even realize that you're not making right, you know, because you're on drugs. So, you know, I, and I, I'm not using drugs as an ex, as an excuse or um, anything because I was sober when I decided to take drugs. So, you know, I have to take responsibility for everything that happens while I'm on them. Um, on the other hand, you just, you're not in your, we weren't on our right minds, obviously. You know, we were just making bad choice after bad choice after bad choice and making the problem worse when we thought we were trying to make it better, you know? Did you have a party in the apartment while free? You know, no, we did not. Things like that upset me because they add an air of sinisterness and um, darkness to the... It's already a terrible situation, already a dark situation, but that specific thing changes the story from something that possibly could be forgivable in a certain you know, by certain people in a certain city, to something that maybe isn't so forgivable because it's like, now there's like premeditation and there's like malice and kind of, you know, and and so that bothers me. It insinuates an air of, um, you know, just callousness and like, we don't care. And like, you know, you know there, we were so racked with guilt and and just pain and misery and there was no way and I wasn't even throwing parties at the clubs I mean the clubs were kind of just running I couldn't I couldn't put together a club party at the club let alone my house in March 2009 Michael said he finally decided to stop using drugs and that he's been sober ever since he was paroled in May 5th 2014 after serving 17 years and was picked up from prison from prison by a van filled with 15 of his friends from his days on the Manhattan club scene allegedly one of the people who <laughs> Met Michael at the prison gates, joked about bringing along 
a toy hammer. I think I'm funny. Freeze was released in 2010 after serving 13 years and started taking classes at NYU, preferring to avoid media attention. You know, and they always say it like Freeze actually was the one who killed him, but like he hit him three times over the head with a hammer. But then Michael smothered him. Like he could have been alive from the brain injury. Yeah. But if I sm- so, but they always talked like, like they got the same sentence, and Michael would have gotten out sooner if he wasn't doing drugs all the time. But yeah. they always acted like he's the one who killed him. And I was like, but did he? Like they're both equally responsible. Right. And I don't know if they were at one point could have gotten him for felony murder because they were robbing Angel at the same time. Like they took all his drugs and his boots and shit, and he would wear his clothes around. Like the boots, and everyone knew those boots. They're like, how can you have Angel's boots? Because they're the ones with the flames on them. It's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know how I got them. And it reminds me of people, like the case we did, the Patreon, the girl's wearing the guy's ring around her neck. It's like a trophy. Like I'm wearing mm-hmm. it. Like I'm, oh, not, yeah. I'm not sorry. And then we did the Shanda Share, the girls that murdered mm-hmm. the younger girl, and they, they took her Mickey Mouse watch and was wearing it. Like it's like, you are not sorry if you're taking trophies, I'm, but you're, you're just not sorry. No. So it was like that. In fact, you're me proud. Out. Yeah, it's like you're showing it off. So how how are things in your life, Michael? These many yeah. years oh, after you started, things are just great, Geraldo. How and are things in your life? Oh, fine, fine. <laughs> when I see footage of me from back then, at and how flippant and kind of not exactly mean, but maybe arrogant, um, and it made, it makes me cringe, honestly. And um, I feel like I have a lot of making up to do. I'm trying to reimagine myself or reinvent myself in, into a person who is maybe we'll say less self-indulgent um, and um, more selfless instead of selfish. There's a time to be selfish and indulgent when you're 20, you know, 25. Um, I'm 52 now, so I think, you know, I I need to just, I need to be the opposite of that. I believe in karma, and I want to balance the scales, and um, I'll, I know that nothing I ever do is going to erase the past and make it all, you know, good again, but as long as I'm going in that direction, I, I'm just trying to incorporate that kind of idea, that kind of feeling into everything I do, really so important to remember that Freeze was the equal killer and that Angel especially was the victim. Angel's family came from Columbia to New York when he was eight. He found a home in the club scene. Yes, he was dealing drugs. He wasn't a bad person. And it's important to remember the victim and not just keep, you know, sometimes I'm loath to even talk about Michael Alec because people say just even talking about how horrible he was is a form of celebration and he's loving it. it it's horrifying it's definitely the most horrifying thing i've ever covered in in my life per the conditions of his parole he returned to new york city he was required to abide by an 8 p.m curfew and undergo drug and anger management counseling a job readiness training in the months following his release michael granted numerous interviews in which he expressed a desire to star in his own reality show and stays in stage an exhibition of his artwork in May 2014, reports emerged that Michael was attempting to sell his memoirs and was pursuing a career as a magazine writer. So he's just, just going to do anything that you'll let me do. I will do it. Since September 7th, 2014, he and fellow club kid Aaron Glam have hosted a YouTube comedy talk show entitled The P.U. P-E-E-E-W. P.U. P-U. 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 <laughs> this has kept him in the spotlight and led to vigorous debate about whether it's a, it's possible to be authentically remorseful 
while rebuilding a public profile on the foundation of his notoriety. So can you be sorry and still like building yourself up by saying, we're sorry. Sorry. I do my other shit. On October 15th, 2004, Michael released a pop song. (laughs) What is happening? Entitled What's In, featuring DJ Kyoki. Oh, okay. Wow. What's it? Like, I think he actually might be. I didn't listen to it. I can put it in here. Well, what do you think I'm looking at? How do you spell (laughs) the last name? Kind of sounded like a bad club song. Yeah, that's because that's what he's used to listening to. Those bad club songs that they're well, always. I think if that had been around this year, it would have knocked off Billie Eilish. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I don't think it would have. Pew 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 pew. Okay, so we listened to the song that was riveting. In May of 2015, a selection of his paintings went on display at the Select Fair in New York. His paintings have a pop art sensibility. Andy Warhol is the obvious influence. Some paintings are of celebrities and others feature green zombie skinned children at play. Some of the paintings incorporate pharmaceutical company logos, blah, blah, blah. I think they were going for like 500 a piece. Wow. Yeah. I don't think they were that good. Is, it kind of, is that kind of like people wanting to buy Hitler's artwork? Yeah, I guess. Ugh. You can. Of his life after being released from prison, Michael said, I thought that coming home would solve all my problems and I would be happy, but I came home and I wasn't. I came home and I realized that it doesn't really matter if I'm here or if I'm there. I'm just the same person. That's how you know you're miserable with yourself. February 2nd, 2017, Michael Alig was arrested for trespassing and smoking crystal meth. Oops. In Joyce Kilmer Park outside of the Bronx Supreme Court at approximately 1.30 a.m. He was detained because the park closes after dusk. The complaint alleges that police found a bag of crystal meth and a pipe with residue from the drug in his jacket pocket. However, Michael later said that the officer mistook one of his healing crystals for methamphetamine. Of course, that, if you haven't had that happen, I mean, really, everybody's had that happen before. Yeah. Interestingly, <laughs> the drug charge was dropped and he was conditionally discharged after pleading guilty to trespassing. So maybe it was healing crystals. <laughs> no, <laughs> healing crystals that look like crystal this meth. Is healing crystal. Healing not crystal, crystal meth. meth. Just uh, similar, but not the same. So the documentary film Glory Days, The Life and Times of Michael Alig, reviews the creation, rise, and dispersion of the club kids phenomenon in the life of Michael Alig, including his return to New York after serving a 17-year prison sentence for murdering Andre Angel Melendez. And at some point in that documentary, they come to the, they're back home in New York and they come to the river, like the place that they've jumped his body, and they are joking about what a good place this is to dump a body. No. Like, yeah, like anytime you could dump a body, I'd do it right now. You got a body to dump. Like, and they don't just say it real quick one night. You're like, I shouldn't have said that. They say it over and over and over again that they are having a grand old time thinking about dumping bodies in this river. This place to dump disposable bodies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a great spot. <laughs> we should come back every year. <laughs> you think, at least we should throw another body. We should <laughs> throw a body over here. 
lovely spot for body throwing. <laughs> a little body tossing. That's not sorry. Sociopath, not sorry. Do less, my friend. They thought if we say that, they'll never think that we were actually here dumping a body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Don't come back to Indiana. No one wants you. Whoa. Boring flat city, state. We're high. We're fine with it. The way you are. Go away. Mm. <laughs> one less sociopath here. Well, that was interesting. I know. Have you ever heard of that before? No. I think I have. Oh, look. A chip has been on my lap this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I forget where people talk to me at, but a Patreon fan, Patreon member suggested this case, and now I have to find them and thank them because I'm not sure. And I I knew of it, but I had forgotten about it. But I did know of it, that they dismembered a person in the bathtub, and he was from South Bend. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Okay, that's, I think, all I have. Is that all you guys have? That's all I got, my mm. friends. Let me see if we get more tattoos between here and next week. Spontaneous I'll try tattoos. Myself. I'll try my hardest. What are you going to get next? Oh, no. Um, I might go back in on Wednesday and finish mine. Yeah, we're talking about getting the initial They said we needed to wait mm. a week, but I mean, it is not. It's not like bleeding or scarred. No, or it doesn't even, you can't even feel it. Not, it doesn't. I mean, <laughs> we're getting it done in the way the guy was talking about it. I thought this was getting ready to be the worst experience of my life. No. Well, just because he goes, your first one, and you're getting it on your finger. Like, it was so, and it wasn't that that bad. That helped me. The first one I got was on my foot, and it was huge. Yeah, I think the foot hurt more. Yeah. Yeah, And it hurt, but then once he was done, and I got another one, I was like, oh, it's not that bad. Yeah. I I don't know. But he was like, oh, what do you do for a living? Like, I could understand if you were in construction, that it would Mm -hmm. be like, you're going to wear this down. You're just like, well, you guys are going to fuck it up, no matter what you do. And it's like, you know what? No one likes you. He was just really high, I think. <laughs> you let him do it? Yeah, it's okay. He's probably high all the time. <laughs> he, he probably does it better. Yeah. Maybe, actually, yeah. But there was, like, several people there. and But it's not booths. Like, at the ink place by us here, you have, like, some privacy. No, it's just, like, everyone's clean, like, professional, all the right stuff. It wasn't, like, some, you just didn't have any separation. It felt like a hair salon. It looked like, yeah. So everyone, like. It's if, what you would think of if. It, if you were with, there with all your friends, you'd want to be all in the same room. Yep. And But it's these people like in the zone getting their big tattoos done. And we're just sitting there, our doll chatty Kathy, like, you know, when we left, yeah. they're like, God, God damn, I'm glad God. they left. Yeah. I mean, we were saying some funny things. We say if I get a tattoo on your penis, so when it right. grows. So. I don't know what the joke oh, is. No, it's my dad's joke. If he says, uh, you know, I got a tattoo of a rowboat on my penis. And then it turns in when it gets hard, it turns into the Titanic. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> so, like, yeah, I think the one one woman was getting like Harry Potter owls on her. I didn't. Yeah. Another one was getting some. I don't know it looked like a watercolor. So it was kind of crowded, is what you're saying. Yeah, and another one was getting some giant lips on her tit. Ooh. Yeah, but they're all like in the zone, like having this done, like it's the process, and we're giggling because they <laughs> two very, two white people just show up one day, like. Getting, well, we're just here for our first tattoos, don't you know? We're don't just, you know? We just picked this out a few minutes ago. Do you know the, any good places around here that serve ranch? <laughs> oh, she's gonna squeeze past you and get the ranch. <laughs> I'm sure I have said that though, and actually, I know I've said that. Mm-hmm. Oh, just let me squeeze past you right here, and we can get the range. Yeah. <laughs> ope and squeeze. I've definitely said. Yep. Oop. Ope. I say ope a lot. No, don't you do that. Don't you do that to me. Okay, I don't have anything else. Please go subscribe to our Patreon. We have interesting content there. I honestly wouldn't know, so go do it. We did one with you with the. 
Bone Church. Sedgwick, I know, Sedgwick I know Ashley. that one was interesting. Yeah, that one for sure. <laughs> okay, you tell them where to find us. Um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Humor at Hoosier Homicide. Humor Hajimide. <laughs> Humorous Homicide. There That's what go. we're gonna change the name to. Humorous Homicide. homicide. Yeah, yeah. That's it's fucked up. We'll do we'll do funny ways people were killed. There like are that show, like a thousand ways, ways to, to die. die. Oh no, that's okay. We're having a live show April eighteenth at the Vogue, three to six thirty. I'm allowed to say it now. Are you saying that that would be a funny way to die? No, I just well, <laughs> if you got stamped, trampled, something at the Vogue, happens. It's Danielle's fault. No, yeah. I think we have to buy insurance too. What? Like, in case, I have insurance. No, like Vogue rental insurance. I don't oh. know. A lot goes into it. It's Joe from Infamous Indie. Uh, the Three C's podcast, Cold Case Chronicles, they're all more in charge of it. We just show up and go, okay. Like I, I just like put a that big though. thumbs up for anything. I was like, yeah. I'm here. Like, do we just... do we have to bring any of our equipment? I don't think so, but uh, they'll tell us when we get closer to. It. But now, you I mean, can... I wouldn't think so. You would think they We're pretty don't. damn close. Tickets are ten dollars. No, in advance. <laughs> just kidding. Three dollars at the fr- or thirteen dollars at the front. Like if you show up. Okay, cool. So we're not sure how big. I mean, it's like ten people up on stage, including you too. So we're we're fully expecting at least ten to fifteen people to show up to this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think it's, I mean, maybe they might show up more to see the other podcasters than no, us. No, but then they'll but... see us and see how charming and endearing we are. Yeah. They'll be there to. Uh, they'll be there to see Joe. Let's be yes. honest. They'll be there to Let's see Joe. Let's be honest. He's going to MC the whole thing. He's good. okay. Is that's he? cool. That's cool. Yeah. Well, then that absolutely makes sense. So yeah, the Vogue, April eighteenth. He's done that sort it's of lit. work before. An afternoon of. Murder at the Vogue. Murder at the Vogue. An afternoon of murder. Yeah, you heard me. An afternoon of murder. <laughs> we came up with some taglines. Somebody's then, gonna show up and be like, "This isn't the. This isn't the 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 uh the a dinner murder dinner show. Murder, a mystery. What? This is a murder, murder mystery? mystery play. What? No. And we started a a network, Central State Studios. We're expanding that into stuff. I'm gonna get uh, married there. It, Joe did. Aww. Yeah, that's a part of why Married we, where? At Central State Hospital. Oh, okay. I got <laughs> All right, so go buy us. Well, Carla, tickets. you have to meet a you have to meet a person first. And that's not true. So, I'm pretty sure there's a woman that married herself and bring gifts. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Money and gifts. Do you have listed in your will that if something happens to you, you leave everything to Jimmy? No, no. everything your, goes to mom. She's your, the first. Your bastard child. That- <laughs> That I can't take child, care of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The state took away from you. <laughs> Everything goes to mom, mom and, dad. and then dad. Typical, typical low life parent, you know. <laughs> you go out and have the kid and then stick Drop him with grandma, grandma while you go out and party and stuff. <laughs> they just live world. there. Literally. Literally. No child. He calls your dad dad. Hey, at least I'm not like that one mom who like oh, left here we all go. of fight. Her. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, it's, it's got I didn't realize they let him fight. Oh, yeah. Oh, they let him yes. fight. Get him. Okay, honestly. How? Like, they... doesn't that hurt your hand punching a helmet? That's what I'm saying. They have so much gear on. Like, are they even hurting each yeah, other? Yeah, I mean, the... he is. Yep. No, they need to stop that. Oh, my gosh. They just let him go. Put in the ice. Okay, right. okay. Right. You guys right. got in right. a few punches. Step okay. away. I mean, those, those Canadians are serious, okay. man. When this is over, I'll play you a video of ho- Iked Up. Miked up hockey players, ooh. and they're sometimes they're just standing there like, "Hey, when the as soon as oh look, he busted yeah, his face I was open." Say he got pretty good as soon as they uh, 
when they're standing there, hey, buddy, hey, uh, you want to go after this? Yeah, oh, yeah, hey, we'll they stop the chicks. All right, hey, good luck to you. Good luck. To, all right, good luck to you. Then they fight, and when they get done, they're like, all right, good fight, buddy. Yeah, all right. <laughs> oh, I love Canadians. The Canadians are so great. Uh, we did. Oh, yeah, he got a good cut What was there. it, the guy that does hockey insults, and he said, Hey, buddy, you ought to take your stick and put it, throw it back in the fucking wood so at least you feel like it has some purpose. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. We did Patreon Blades of Glory, where the guy that got his throat slit. Oh, Bob. Clint Malarchik. And happened to survive because the surgeon was at the same end. Yes. The goalie oh, during that, the hockey game? Yeah. Look. And it was like in blood, just arterial spray just goes everywhere. And the announcers are like, whoo, um, That's. No, I'm. So, wait. Wait for them to, wait for them to show. How this fight starts. Yeah, you're bleeding. Oh, yep. I went back too far. Yeah, you did. It's okay. It's going to start here in just a second. He says, look at this hole in my cheek. Like, he's, yeah, He needs hole. sutures. Do you think? And you know what yeah. he's going to do? He's going to go back to the locker room. Get stitched up. He's going to get stitches. And then and come then, back out. And then he is going to go back out and finish the game. Yeah, yeah these guys dope. are hardcore. I'm impressed. Look, his knuckles are all oh, fucked there up. Oh, there ain't any a tougher son of a bitch in the world than some of these fucking hockey players. Okay, watch. So- but- he just says, get out of the way. All right, come on. <laughs> yeah, they're okay. They weren't even together when no, it started. They <laughs> yeah, they weren't. Oh, quack, quack. They didn't, even, they didn't even do anything to each other. You want to go after this? Yeah, okay, we'll go after this. Yeah. Good luck to you. We'll share a beer later, but let's do this now. <laughs> Dad gets deported from Canada all the time. <laughs> and for honest to goodness. Stay out of the corn. Well, you didn't I say it with me. It's <laughs> <laughs> the first time that's happened. <laughs> I'm so sorry. All right. And for honest to goodness, stay, stay out, out of the, the corn. corn. <laughs> I mean, you wait. I'm going to do it next time. No. <laughs> Thank you all for being here. These are the club kids. God bless you all. <laughs> Thanks so much. Great. Thank you, dear. Great stuff. Really like it. All right. 